0: This was going to be a really big wedding. Uh, Lavish, extravagant. Just in the wedding party, 28 and 600 invited guests. And so a few days before, when all the arrangements are taking place at the venue and ordering all the things, the bride disappears and immediately people expected foul play. The sheriff's department got involved, a nationwide search went on, family members were pleading over the news stations, both locally in Duluth, Georgia and across the nation to find this woman. Jennifer Wilbanks was from Duluth, was gone, people feared foul play, and three days later, They found her in New Mexico. And that's what she said, that she had been kidnapped and abused and was so thankful to have been found. But after further questioning, they found that she actually ran away. (laughs) She was the runaway bride. They asked her why. She said personal reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever run away from something you knew you should do? Have you ever faltered a little bit, stumbled a little bit, paused a little bit? Neglected to do what you knew you needed to do? Failed to follow through? Walked away from what you knew was right? I think all of us have experienced that to varying degrees. So I have a story for you the next several weeks, a true story on the life of a man named Jonah who ran from God and how God relentlessly went after him. There are many parts to this story and many characters in this story. Typically, when you're reading this to the kids, they're thinking of, The great fish. We're not certain it was a whale, but probably something like a whale. Very large fish. And in dramatic fashion, this prophet gets swallowed into the belly of the whale, is there for three days, then spit up onto the land, and then he goes and does what God asked him to do. It's a spectacular story. People will say, well, this just can't be true. You can't, you can't live in the belly of a whale for three days. And I'll I'll get to that when we, we get to that part. We're we'll just being the first three verses this morning. But the whole Bible is spectacular. God is spectacular. The miracles are spectacular. He's raised the dead. He has calmed the oceans. He has created the universe. So I believe. And looking at this, it's not just fiction. It's not just allegory. And there, there are stories that are clearly allegorical. But I believe if you look through the whole of Scripture and through history, you're going to find that Nineveh is a real city. Jonah was a real prophet. And that these events are supported. And it ties to us, even though this is happening You know, a thousand years ago, it still ties to us and to the central teaching of our Christian faith. In Matthew 12, 38 to 41, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees, those were religious leaders, answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So I want you to think about that. Something greater than Jonah is here. As I've said many times, everything that we're reading in the Old Testament is pointing towards something to come. It is pointing to Christ. And so a couple of times we're seeing that reference is being made back to the events of Jonah So when God speaks to you when he speaks to me it is right for you God is always right and it is always good for you Every time God speaks it is true and it is the best thing you could ever hear Now we will struggle with believing that. We will struggle with following that. We all will. And that's the nature of faith. Faith is really, as someone said, do you just expect me to step out like into the blind? I said, that's, a, that's exactly the nature of faith. It's believing in what God is saying and trusting in his character. So this morning, we're going to consider These three verses in three ways. God's revelation, the responsibility given to Jonah to go preach, and then finally how he responds. And we're not going to get into all of the events of the fish yet this week, but just at the very beginning, how this story is starting to get set up. So, God's revelation to Jonah. How does God reveal himself? And uh, let's just kind of talk about Jonah first. We don't know a lot about this prophet. A little more obscure. He is a prophet of God, which meant he was God's spokesman. And typically, a prophet in the Old Testament was one speaking for God. And they could announce future events. And they could call people to repentance and to righteousness, but they were really a voice for God. And this was his responsibility in the northern part of the kingdom. We had the southern part of Judah, then the the other ten tribes in the north, um, centralized in Samaria, and this was his life. He was a prophet. He was a follower of Elijah. You've heard of him, Elisha. And so Jonah was also a prophet of God, called of God to do this. So how did the word of the Lord come to him? (laughs) That's spectacular in itself. The word of the Lord came to him. We read that seven times in this short little book. In fact, it only takes up two pages in my Bible, four chapters. Seven times we read, and the word of the Lord came to him. And so when God speaks, He is speaking with purpose. And we have really two kinds of revelation in the Bible when God reveals His Word or reveals Himself. One is what we call general revelation and the other is specific revelation. General revelation would be is when you stand in awe of His creation. When you stand in awe of the beauty of a flower, when you stand in awe of seeing the birth of a baby. And God tells us in Genesis, in His creation, in the beauty of His creation, He shows His majesty and His glory. The psalmist says in Psalm 19, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day after day they utter speech. So, God communicates to us enough about the fact that he does exist. Then there is what we call specific revelation. When we read John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, how do you get from... <clears throat> General revelation. I, I used to always ask this question, I don't know if you did, but what about the, the people in the jungle in the Congo? <laughs> what about those tribes on some remote island? Is it fair for them if they've never heard John 3:16? One of the prophets, Jeremiah, said in 29:13 of his writings, "If you seek me, you will find me. If you search for me with all your heart." What that verse does for me and others like it is ties it together from the general revelation there must be a God. There has to be a God. There is enough general revelation to bring every soul on the face of this earth to that point to acknowledge that and seek that. And he says, if you seek it, you will find it. Well, how, how are they going to find that specific revelation is when God will send as an answer to that prayer, a prophet, a voice. In chapter 10 of the book of Acts, we read about this uh, soldier, and he is doing this very thing, and God sends Peter right to him to explain what he's seeking. So we have this revelation. In the Old Testament, God would speak audibly, He would speak through dreams. He'd speak through angels. He would speak through theophanies, which would be an appearance, a visible appearance of God, or a Christophany, which is a visible appearance of Christ. And he would speak through prophets. When we come to the New Testament time, God speaks through Christ. I mean, the physical presence of God and Christ is speaking, these are his words. And then finally, when Christ ascends up into heaven, he ordains that the scriptures be given to us. Now, we can digress into a whole conversation on this. Um, How do you know that they got the right stuff in here? (laughs) Have you ever wondered that? I have. And there's a whole thought process, too, that is called the canon or the canonicity. Is there certain measurements that this has to fulfill for it to be counted as scripture and of course it has to be true can't have falsehood in it and it has to be consistent with everything else and it has to be affirmed by through the ages there are various ones like that which I said I started digressing there nevertheless we can have confidence that every word of God is true Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is true. Boy, that that settles a lot. Now, I may not understand every word, but knowing that it is true gives me a great deal of confidence, especially as I speak. If I'm standing up here on Sundays or, or Craig or Paul or anyone else standing up here on Sundays and saying, you know, I think this is true. I mean... Like any other commentator, I know this is true, and it is proven to be true. So how does the Word of God come to you personally, to you? Because this is, we're trying to take what was taking place 800 B.C., the century, um, to, to your life. How does God speak to you? I think he speaks in general revelation, absolutely. You walk out here, um, you watch a baby being born, um, you see the beauty, the stars, you know, God still speaks to you that way, but he also speaks specifically to you through the scriptures. And as you read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit gives you enlightenment and insight to understand what they mean. And that's how he speaks to you. Everything is true, everything is relevant, and everything is helpful and beneficial. He says that all scripture is given is God breathed and it's profitable for us for life and for living. So this is God speaking and God is speaking to Jonah. So, and he's still doing that today. He has done that through all of history. So that's revelation. Secondly, in this speaking, we come to responsibility because when God speaks, he's saying something. (laughs) Okay. Um, And this is not going to be an easy thing for Jonah. I mean, I would like to say every time I read the Bible, I just feel, wow, that's just wonderful. I just feel better today. There are times I read things, I am troubled. Because they convict me, or they call me to a certain obedience. And so it's not just a warm fuzzy to read your Bible every day. But it is true And it is needful and helpful for you. And God is always speaking to you for your good. Always for your good. It's just sometimes hard to process it. So the responsibility is given in verse 2. It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their evil has come up before me. There is a very clear call to action. I know this, that a lot of times when I don't want to obey what God tells me, it's not that I don't understand it. (laughs) Maybe if I look a little harder, it'll say something different. No. God will give you enough understanding to obey. Everything he calls you to do. And... Jonah knew. When the Lord says, arise, go, and preach. And the sense of urgency in Arise is, get up right now, get moving, and I want you to go into this city and preach against it. Now, the city of Nineveh was an incredibly wicked city. It says that and the reason God gives is I want you to go do this because their evil has come up before me. Nineveh was about 500 miles or so northeast of where Jonah is. And it is a, it is a big city. Well over 100,000 people inhabit it. It is powerful. It is threatening. It is the capital city of the Syrian empire and the the Syrian, uh, or they would call them Assyrians, were wreaking havoc all over the world, all over the world. They would threaten people, murder people, take their possessions, destroy them, burn their cities. The whole people was filled with violence vicious, brutal, wicked, idol-worshiping pagans. They were known to impale people on sharp poles, fillet them alive, dismember them when they're alive, find many means of cruel torture. They were the worst kinds of terrorists, and particularly they would inflict pain upon the Jews, upon Israel. They were a powerful people, and everyone in the known world feared them. And so, here God is saying, get up, go to Nineveh, go into the city, and preach against it, because their sins have come up before me. Now, I can think of a lot of reasons (laughs) why he wouldn't want to go, and we'll get into that later. He doesn't go. I can think of reasons of pride, fear, um, better things to do. You know, there are probably 100 reasons for you not to do what God wants you to do. Anytime God gives you instruction in your life to obey him, there will probably be other things that are more comfortable for you to do. Every time God calls you into obedience, it will be a test of your faith. Will you trust him? That what he's asking you to do, calling you to do, is for your good. And not only was this for the good of Jonah, it was for the good of all of Israel and all of Nineveh. Good for the sailors. Good for the fish. Got to be a part of it. There's only probably one good reason that Jonah should go, is because because God told him to. That's all you need. And I realize that simple raw obedience is not. The most fun motivation, I'd rather be motivated out of excitement and joy and happiness and, and the thrill of victory and all these things, but to obey God is the safest place you'll ever be, the most joyous place you can ever be as a believer. As Jesus said to his disciples, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. So just as God is calling Jonah to obedience today, he is calling you to obedience to his word as his spirit is working in you, bringing you to the place to understand of what you need to do. So what is God's response to this evil? I'm glad that we're not in charge of making everything right. Because I think if, 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 if God were to say to Jonah, Jonah, you know what, the, the wickedness of Nineveh is coming up before me. Jonah would probably say, yeah, yeah, right, I, yeah. You are right, God. And if he were to say, Jonah, what should we do? They didn't have nukes back in that day, but he'd probably say, nuke them. Destroy them, obliterate them, wipe them out. Well, that's not what God tells them to do. He says, You go preach. So, what is God looking, looking to do? And I think that this is where we find the character of God. And I, and I love to do this anytime I'm reading through something in the Bible, is ask, ask myself, What am I learning about God? What am I learning about His character? And of all the characters in this story, God is the one we need to focus on. What do we learn about His character? There are really two things. Justice and mercy. Justice and mercy. God is just. He is holy. He is righteous. He is true. God cannot tolerate evil in his presence, and he must punish sin. If he is a just judge, he can't look the other way. He wouldn't be just. He can't say, oh, that's all right, you know what, hey, you know what, I'll let you go this time. He can't do that. If God is just, he must always do right. He must always punish what is wrong. Exodus 34, 7, it says, He will in no wise clear the guilty. So, part of this story is a story of justice. God sees the evil in Nineveh. He will bring it to justice. God sees the evil in your life. God sees the evil in my life. He desires to bring it to justice. And I think, you know, when you talk about justice and mercy, it's like anything else in life. We all tend to kind of lean to one side or the other. It's like <laughs> anything else. And the more you lean toward mercy, the more I'm going to lean toward justice. The more I lean toward justice, the more you're going to lean, oh, merciful. Parents do that with their kids all the time. We also know that God, all through, all through the Old Testament, we read that He is plenteous in mercy. He is slow to wrath. He is patient and forgiving. He is a merciful God, and God is good. God cannot do evil. God cannot do wrong. All the way through, God is merciful, but God is also just. So let's just kind of fast forward, I don't want to get too much into the whale, but when Jonah is in the in the whale or the fish, I'll, I'll say whale just because that's the way I grew up saying a whale, but in the great fish, was that an act of God's justice or an act of God's mercy? It was both. It was both, wasn't it? And God will always act with those coming together. This is the amazing thing about the gospel. And when we're saying that everything is moving toward Christ, Jesus Christ is the one who satisfies the justice of God, the holiness of God, and also He is the expression of the mercy and goodness of God altogether. So when he dies on the cross, he washes away the sin in justice. Every sin is paid for. Nothing slides. No one gets away with anything. Jesus Christ is just. He's holy. He's also the great expression of the love of God of giving his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And so God is going to be consistently working in your life in the same way. He's going to be true and right and honest and just. He's going to call you to repentance, which is basically a changing of your mind that that results in a turning of your feet. And that should not be a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It should be what we do every day. God is always calling me to repentance I wake up in the morning going this way, and he calls me to walk with him. Repentance is a way of life. Backsliding, like we read about Jonah, is the tendency that you and I have every day, is to drift or to not go or to not get up or not to follow through. We'll see these two come together in Christ. And So why would God send Jonah, who's in Israel, prophet in Israel, way up to Nineveh? Totally different country. Why would he send this Jewish man, Hebrew man, to a pagan country? And it's because, do you remember you go back to, when God says to Abraham, I'm, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And we see that. But, but then he says, I am going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. We forget that. God doesn't just care about the Jews. God just didn't care about Abraham's family. He cared about everyone. He said, I'm going to bless all the nations to the earth. So when we come to the New Testament, Jesus came to the Jews. They rejected him. But then the Great Commission, he sends to the ends of the earth, to all the Gentiles, everyone else, so that they might hear the good news and believe upon him. So this is consistent with the heart of God. The heart of God is not locked into, well, just these people are my people. It's all of these people. And Jonah was to be a catalyst. Israel was to be a catalyst for repentance and forgiveness and for faith. And we need to see valley family as a catalyst in this city. God has placed us here not just to bless us but that others might be blessed through us. And that's going to push us outside of our comfort zone when God says, rise up, go, and preach against it. I don't think that every way that you do it the same way of heralding judgment against the city as Jonah did, but this is, this is the reason God has us in this world. So when God speaks to you, It's right for you. And it's best for you. So revelation to Jonah. Responsibility given to Jonah. And finally, we're going to look at the response. And we'll expand upon this much further in the coming weeks. But the initial response is in verse 3, Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. Now, if you stop and think about that, It's almost funny. If God is everywhere at all times, if he is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, how do you flee from his presence? It's like David said in Psalm 139, if I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I flee to the ends of the earth, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me. So, I mean, it it is kind of funny to think that he is going to flee from the presence of the Lord. You may flee from the will of God, but you cannot flee from the presence of God. Wherever you run to, runaway bride to New Mexico, (laughs) there he is. He's already there. He's been waiting for you. And he is relentlessly pursuing you to bring you back into right relationship with him. That's what he wants. And when you, whether it's fear or pride or anger or you've got a better plan, whatever the reason is for you not to do God's will, God's gonna come after you. And he comes after you with his justice and his mercy his justice will correct you it's like the 23rd Psalm my rod and thy staff they comfort me He, he corrects you and he cares for you with his mercy that's your heavenly father so not a runaway bride but a runaway prophet and a message for runaway believers including me Maybe not in a big way, where I went around the world, where I fled to Tarshish. (laughs) But there are times when I don't obey what I know to obey. When I don't do what I know I need to do. And God's there. Gently, correcting, caring, bringing me back to relationship to bless me. And not only to bless me, but to bless all those around me. He does this through Christ. This is how all of this is accomplished. This is why, when we get to the New Testament, someone greater than Jonah is here. He makes it possible. So, what do we take away from this morning? God is a God of justice, and He is a God of mercy. When God speaks to you, and he does speak to you and to me, it is right for you, and it is the best for you. So follow him. Follow him in faith. If you do run from him, be assured, you won't outrun him. (laughs) You won't outrun him. And that, that is what we will see as we continue reading this story. Father, thank you for such a great story, great reminder of who you are, your great love and compassion for this world, to take away sin, to provide forgiveness and eternal life, our place in it. And Lord, I pray that each one of us, when you do speak to us and your spirit is working in our hearts, we will obey and trust, trust you that it is the right thing and it is the very best. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.